You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. Hello, I'm Sunibos. Welcome to this Future Net Zero podcast. Today is about where you are probably right now listening to this. Unless you're in a car, you're pretty much going to be in a building. And buildings are one of the major problems for us in terms of emissions, not just here, but globally. More and more of us live in cities, more of us live in big urban conurbations. If you look at the UK, and although we're sort of an international site, but you know, we talk a lot about the UK here, most of us own buildings that are pretty old, not energy efficient, probably in many cases more than 100 years old. And we've not really done enough about it. For your business, you're listening here from. What's your office like? What's your warehouse like? What are you doing? What will happen in terms of us trying to decarbonize the buildings and real estate sector? Are there things that you can do quickly? Is it expensive? Well, we're going to discuss all of this with my special guest today. I'm delighted to welcome uh, Kaz Mohammed from Schneider Electric and Neil Pennell from Landsec. Uh, Kaz, hello to you. Hi there. So Kaz Mohammed here from Schneider Electric. How are you doing? Good stuff. Um, for people who don't know Schneider, a, a, a sort of 10, 15 seconds on who you are and what you do as an organisation. Yeah, so we're, we're specialists in, in energy management across a, a various number of segments, including buildings. And that encompasses everything from controlling the energy, monitoring the energy and, and kind of making the most out of it. And when we talk about buildings in the UK and Ireland here, we're talking a lot around kind of healthcare, real estate, education, small, medium, large. Brilliant. And Neil, what is Landsec? What do you do? Okay. Well, my name is Neil Pennell. I'm head of design, innovation and property solutions at Landsec. Landsec is a real estate company. It owns properties, commercial properties across the UK. And that includes uh, large office buildings in, in central London, but across the UK, uh, retail shopping centres, um, retail sites generally, leisure facilities, and in some locations increasingly now uh, some residential buildings as well. So uh, we've got a lot of those properties you were talking about earlier. How efficient or inefficient, let's start the other way, how inefficient are, is our building stock real? I think it's comparable to some of our sort of similar economies and advanced countries. I think some of our building stock is is probably lagging behind many of the of the uh, leading lights, probably which are in Northern Europe. But uh, that's probably because our, our climate up to now has been very temperate and, and we've had access to relatively cheap energy. But I think we've got a big wake up call now. We've seen the cost of energy steeply rising, uh, the importance of you know having resilient energy supplies. The best thing we can do is to actually reduce our demand in, in the short term to actually help us with that challenge. Many of us in business, um, particularly, don't own our buildings, do we? Right? Most most SMEs and mid-size will rent. Um, and so in essence, you know, people like you who, who sort of run the buildings, the landlords, th this is always where, where we get a lot of people going, what I'd like to do is have some LED lighting. What I'd like to do is improve the insulation, but my landlord won't do it. Um, how tricky is that sort of navigation around kind of whose responsibility it is, Neil? 
the structure of how buildings are owned and operated and the relationship between occupiers and owners is many varied and complicated because of the nature of the different commercial arrangements that are in place. But ultimately, the, the people that have responsibility for the, the building, its operation and its fabric, yeah. uh, should be able to take action to improve their performance. Um, certainly we do. Uh, we we set out some very challenging targets for ourselves to become a, a net zero carbon organisation by 2030. And we've, for for decades and decades now, we've focused on energy efficiency. Unfortunately, a lot of our buildings are built to, to really high standards, and but there's still work for us to do. Um, and there's a lot of others that are perhaps in, in less uh, fortunate positions who, who have even more work to do. Our housing stock in particular in the UK needs oh, yeah. a lot of attention, and we hear about that always on the news. And, of course. But in terms of commercial buildings, you know, we've got some good performing buildings, but they, they need still to improve. So that we've actually recently announced that we've set aside a, a transitional fund to get us to our target where we want to be of £135 million to reinvest in that existing property portfolio that we own and operate. So we're taking it seriously. We think it's important for us to make sure that our buildings are performing as well as they possibly can and they meet the targets that we set. That in turn will benefit our customers that use those buildings and, and help keep their energy costs as low as possible. So... It's important, I think, for us as a business, and I'm sure other businesses will be thinking the same thing and, and going down that same path. And it's, you know, the imperative now is greater than ever, ever to do that. Yeah. Kaz, I know Stein has done some work on this. And, and you know, buildings, as I said, more of the world is urbanising. Uh, and, and I know you're a sort of global company, but you look at it. But here in the UK, you know, a lot of our energy in our buildings... It's just wasted, isn't it? It just goes out the windows or it just leaks out or, or leaches out. or it's, it's this, The stock, even for commercial stuff, uh, let alone ho homes, it, it's pretty poor, isn't it? Yes, uh, I think everything that you kind of described there about the leakiness to actually just stuff that's going on in your building that just carries on running when it doesn't need to you mean like the the, the classic thing my dad said don't turn the lights off and buildings have yeah that sort of stuff exactly how many times do you drive past a, a building or see a building from the outside at you know in the evening and actually most of the lights are still on but actually you can see in there there's little to no one actually still in the office so I think I think that's a, a big challenge um, in building today, but but an even greater challenge is actually business leaders and business owners having the information and the data point to be able to understand how it's operating. So there's only around 20% of businesses have started to kind of measure where their energy is going in the building to actually understand, you know, how is it operating, where's it going, and and as you say, how much is actually being wasted. And I think that's an important piece is businesses actually understanding where the waste is and measuring that waste to then be able to do something about it. Let's talk about two things. We'll, we'll talk in a moment about the future and new buildings going up. And as you were saying earlier, Neil, Lancet, you push it. But let's talk about where we are and existing buildings. And let, let me do my story, right? Our company, we just moved uh, to much bigger offices, which are much nicer. And the reason I've come here is it's, got double glazing and energy efficiency and putting look at things that are good i mean a, a, a that and b it's just a much nicer office but our previous office 
was basically like a, a lock-up garage. There was a whole bunch of them. Leaky, 1950s buildings. Uh, no one bothered about changing any of the windows that were all metal. Uh, there wasn't any proper insulation. There wasn't any idea about LED lighting. There's these, these whole things that, that are there. I would argue that you could try and retrofit those buildings, but am I wrong, Kaz? Can, can you take buildings like that and bring them back to some form of uh, you know, more modern energy efficiency? And if you can, why are we not doing it enough? I think um, there's obviously a, a level that you can, you can do. Um, so there's the, the fabric of the building, there's the way it might be supplied in terms of energy, um, and then the, the kind of balance with the cost to do all of that, the, the yeah. technical kind of ability to do all that. And there's always a tipping point. And I think in, in the past, that tipping point has been measured on pound notes. And I think going forward, what we're seeing is more of a, a sense of businesses actually looking at it in terms of, well, I could go and go and build something brand new and knock down this existing 1950s building. But what's the the embodied carbon associated with doing yeah, that? Exactly. What's the, the yeah, exactly. The cost to the environment. And actually, can I repurpose maybe an existing facility? And it might not have the same kind of need as, as what it once was, but repurpose it to something different. And I think L London's a great example where we're seeing a lot of developments go on in existing buildings in a lot of old factories and a lot of old warehouses and yeah. for them to kind of repurposed and modernized to, to kind of modern day standards. Do you do, you do much of that work yourselves as an organization to sort of do the retrofit side of things? Because I suppose it's obviously easier to work when you're building something new, but that, that's kind of where the majority of stuff will be, won't it? Really? We, we, do, we do a huge amount in the, the renovation market. And I think you, you need to in the UK um, with the building stock that we've got, a lot of historic buildings as well that ultimately are important to, to keep around for, for, for the foreseeable future. Um, we, we also work a lot with customers around actually them doing kind of renovations and retrofits of their existing site. So that, that for instance, universities, they'll be modernizing their equipments and their systems and they're kind of looking and going, right, how do I put in that next set of technology but make use of what I've already got there? I don't want to completely rip out and replace, I want to try and elongate the asset over a longer period. And, and we do a lot of work with customers on that as well. Neil, for your organisation, I don't know what percentage is sort of older buildings, but I assume, assume you're dealing with this sort of issue as well. Uh, we've got a, a, a range of buildings of different ages in our, in our portfolio, although probably more of them are are probably from the last um, 15, 20 years in terms of, of age. So it's a relatively modern stock of buildings. Um, there are there are a few older ones. We look all the time as to how we can reposition our buildings and, and look at the potential for refurbishment and upgrades as well as where the um, you know the best solution may be to replace the building, depending on what you can actually achieve with the existing building that's there. But everything is is looked at. Now, each building that that we have an opportunity to to actually take back and and reposition and improve going forward, we we review all the options. And uh, increasingly, I think the refurbishment of, of buildings is going to be a, a growing part of what we all do going forward. We've always done yeah. refurbishments yeah. in any case, um, and you have to look at what the the best overall solution will be on a site. Um, and certainly, you know, there's uh, there's more pressure now to to look at retaining existing buildings, wherever that's 
sensible and possible to do. And and if you look at it in the in the wider context, something like uh, it's varying estimates, but probably eighty percent of the buildings uh, that are going to be around in twenty fifty when the UK's should have met its net zero carbon targets are, are going to be buildings that are that are with us now. So yeah, all of course. those buildings need to be improved and upgraded and uh, the systems in them modernized and transitioned away from carbon intensive fuels to use uh, hopefully grid energy, which by that time will be net zero carbon with the supply size side uh, changes that are, are taking place. We've seen a rapid decarbonization of our grid electricity over the last decade with big investments in, in wind power and, and solar. Um, we've got obviously new nuclear as well in the pipeline. So all of those things are meaning the supply side of our energy is rapidly decarbonizing. And we need to make sure that the buildings that are using the energy as efficient as possible and able to exploit that, that um, energy supply uh, and, and the benefits that it brings. And this is probably to both of you, actually. I mean, the building is one thing. The people's another thing, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know... We've probably all seen it. We've even got it here. If, if I'm not working in one part of the room, the light goes off. Uh, and certain class, places are super sophisticated that they know there's no one on that floor. They don't need the air conditioning. This whole thing about smart buildings and, and kind of using technology, do we need to have a think about people and their behaviours as well as that? And let's start with you, Kaz, on that one. I think... Um... For sure, there's a challenge always there with with behaviours, and I think it's, it's 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 around shortcutting. So whatever's the easiest, simplest method that people will will ultimately default to, to to make their lives kind of easier. And I think some of that will change over time with the the kind of knowledge around sustainability. And I think we're seeing this with the, the younger generation um, kind of coming through. But where we try and look at, you know, you've got this sophisticated technology as as you talked about there is making it really simple yeah the, the, build, the building thinks thinks for you and, and and decides for you in a way sort of thing doesn't it exactly it's got to be weaved into the actual fabric of how somebody is interacting with a building how they would interact with um you know their day-to-day routines um whatever that kind of looks like to make it as simple and easy the more complex you make that interaction the more the behaviour will kind of default to, to what was the norm in the past. What's your take on that, on the on the people factor, Neil? I think people are very good at switching things on when they want them. <laughs> they, We're not they, setting them off. They, you know, they switch on the lights, they switch on the TV, they, they switch on the heating. So, you know, they're, they're good at, at getting things to use energy. What they're perhaps less good at is remembering when they've finished or they don't need that anymore switching it off again and i think at its simplest level a really good control system the sort of you know equipment that, that schneider provide and, and systems in buildings is really to to turn things off and turn things down when when they're not needed yeah you know there's simple things like you can sense when people are in a space and if they're no longer there well then you can shut down the systems in that space so the clever thing is you know, we we need to you know be comfortable to to live healthy and productive lives. So, and you know, the indoor climate in buildings is important. We don't want to be in buildings that are that are uncomfortable and 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 yeah, not healthy. Cool. So, it's important that you know we can try and read things with lights. You know, so we we do need to use energy when we need it. What we need to make sure is we don't use energy when we don't need to use that energy, and that's where 
a really good control system is going to work well. And and then as you get more sophisticated and you start looking at the overall energy use and you start to compare with benchmarks or we compare compare your buildings against each other or against themselves over a period of time it enables you to see whether the control systems are continuing to work well or whether there's other behaviors that are going on that are causing additional energy use that uh, is not not necessary and therefore you need to maybe make adjustments and that so that's why the data and information about how your buildings are performing and and what's going on is really important particularly in big large commercial buildings because obviously you know leaving the lights on in the upstairs bedroom when you're downstairs is bad enough in the home but you imagine if you leave the lights on in a, a big commercial building when there's nobody there it's not not a good thing so you know good lighting controls good energy controls good heating controls all these things are important as well as making sure that the plant and equipment itself is operating at optimum efficiencies and there's lots of sophisticated control systems that do that but you know you don't need to understand those things but you need to ensure that you have them in place and that they're continuing to work and do that important job for you of um, switching things off when you don't need them. I remember going to film, when I used to work at the VT, went to film the Gherkin. Everyone will know the, the building, the Gherkin. And what was really smart, I mean, it's, it must be 25, 30 years old now, but who knows. But I remember when they were building it and they put in this system where they didn't have to put in much air conditioning because the windows actually opened <laughs> and the air moved around. So as we build these new buildings that, that are being constructed, let's look forward now. There's a concept called energy positive right i've never kind of understood what that means what is this concept of an energy positive building uh, can you explain it to me Cass? yeah sure so essentially within a building you, you have a, an energy usage and you can be obviously generating now energy on site so through the use of maybe solar panels maybe wind um, ah, okay right yeah so yeah. now you're generating enough energy to cope with the demand that you might have on, have on your site. And the, the, the energy positive piece comes about when actually you're creating a net positive. So you've actually created excessive energy that you can then maybe put back onto the grid if the, the local suppliers allow you or store up um, for when you, you kind of have them peak demands. And, and I understand that if you've got the room to do it. But can you do it just with energy efficiency? Could we build a building that doesn't happen to have solar panels and doesn't have to have a way of generating, but actually the power it takes is so efficient that it actually works that way? Or is this only about buildings that have some sort of generating capability? You would, you would need some level of generation on site, but it's a really important point you make there because that is actually part of the, the picture around actually efficiency. And, and Neil talked about it earlier. The, the first piece that needs to always be tackled is, is looking at how do you make the most efficient operation for your building, for your site um, as possible. And then actually the problem or the equation to be solved out the back of it that needs to be decarbonized or you need to create or uh, energy fork is a lot smaller. It's a lot smaller of a problem, which then is an easier problem, um, hopefully to tackle than what you had before. What are you doing? To do all of this, Neil, any of your shopping centres in the future going to be energy positive? Some of the big real estate plots you've got, you're building in generation as, as you build these new buildings? Um, we, we have got a number of uh, shopping centres at the moment where we've got large uh, PV 
installations on, on the roofs because the one thing with a shopping centre obviously is generally you've got large roof areas which is a great starting point as a solar collector so we've we've got big um, solar uh, PV installations on uh, a shopping centre we have up in, in Leeds called White Rose and one down on the south coast called Morph Keys and in Portsmouth very big solar uh, PV installations that provide a significant part of the energy use in the, in the general areas of, of those retail centres. Whether you can get enough to, to make a building uh, self-sufficient or energy positive is an equation based on what, how much renewable energy you can exploit from the site that you're on if you want to do it within the confines of the site. I think the other approach is to look at investments in renewable energy assets that are, are maybe in locations where they can collect large amounts of energy and, and you can sort of link them to your, your buildings either literally or virtually to say, you know, we're putting this amount of renewable energy into the system at this point. Yeah. And it's balancing out what, what you're taking out at another point. And to that end, we've got a, a couple of wind farms that are um, in, a, in our portfolio now where we have opportunities maybe to, to look at doing that sort of thing, in addition to wherever we can and, and where it makes sense to do so, to put PV installations on, on some of our resale schemes. In fact, I'm working on a project at the moment uh, with our sustainability team to to do just that and we're, we're hoping to roll out a number of more large-scale PV installations over the next couple of years which are all going to be obviously big contributors towards the yeah. energy that's used in those centres but to, to become on, on a site an individual site-by-site basis to become energy neutral or even energy positive You've really got to have the opportunity there, whether it's in terms of the, the wind energy potential or if you, you've got geothermal energy that you can maybe exploit or large areas that you can put in PV, but at the same time driving down the energy use so that you can bring the two things so there's a crossover point where the energy in and the energy out sort of uh, balance each other out or goes positive. It's quite challenging to do on a an individual building by building basis, but I think maybe we we should be looking more at um, where we can make those investments in in larger scale opportunities and and balance things that way i think certainly for us with a, a large portfolio of buildings many of which are in city center locations you know the opportunity yeah. to capture renewable energy is is limited you know if you want pv on the roof in, a, in the middle of a city there's a fair chance that your roof might be overshadowed by the building next door and the energy intensity of the buildings in urban sites like that are going to be much higher than it would be for a, you know perhaps an individual home uh, sitting on a farm somewhere where you've got a hill that you can put a wind turbine on and a, a big cow shed or something you can fill the roof with pv so it's it's really looking at it i think at a more holistic level of what we can do uh, as a nation to to balance the books if you like and i think that's why we say so much more investment now going into renewables and and over time we're going to reduce the dependency on fossil fuels we're certainly yeah. taking that approach with our centers one of the things that we're, we're doing with some of our buildings is moving them away from from burning uh, gas on site uh, so we're not burning a fossil fuel uh, and we're replacing heating and cooling systems with uh, with heat pumps that are able to do both both jobs and, and run off uh, electricity uh, rather than heating at the moment which is mostly gas-fired boilers and so there's a there's a big transition for us to do there uh, before we go and uh, there's a building i think you, you guys are responsible for 
I don't know if it's been finished yet, the, the, the Forge, which is in the city in, in the centre of London. Yeah. And you, you're saying it's the first net zero commercial building, is that right? It's the, it's the first building that's been designed to meet the definition. You have to be specific because there's yeah, so many yeah, the yes. of net zero carbon. And actually, I'm, I'm working on a, on a working group trying to actually align some of these definitions at the moment. So we have one standard that we can all refer to. But we, we selected the UK Green Building Council uh, framework definition for net zero carbon. And we've ensured that the design of the building meets that performance standard. Is it, is it finished yet? It's just coming to completion now, be finished in the next um, couple of months, I think. So hopefully um, not too far now before before the building be finished. Obviously, what we'll need to do is run and operate that building and measure its performance to ensure that all the things that we have put in place do, do meet the requirements. So it's certainly been through its uh, design checks and it's passed. Um, we've, we've used a performance and use modelling approach actually using a, a new scheme that's come into the UK, Neighbours UK, which uh, uh, again to align with the, uh, the standard needed to be at a five-star level and where uh, our design check showed we were above five stars. So we're fairly confident that it will achieve that uh, aim to be the, uh, the first net zero carbon building to meet that framework standard and to obviously be the first one that, that we do and all our other current um, developments are all being aligned to be net zero carbon because we don't want to add any more to the challenge of, of what we have to do with our existing portfolio of buildings where we've you know made that commitment to reinvest in those over the next eight years to to put us in a position where we can meet our target of of being net zero carbon by 2030 so there's a lot of effort going in both on on the new buildings yeah. major refurbishments of, of buildings because we're also we're doing refurbishments uh, of buildings as well that they they don't um, add if you like to the challenge that we have to to retrofit in our existing portfolio and you know the money that we're investing is is both to improve the the plant and equipment like like the addition of air source heat pumps the investment in pv but probably the first step and and the one that we can do in every building is to really make sure that the building control systems the building management systems really operate at top efficiency and increasingly we can use um, ai technologies to analyze the data to make sure that we know exactly what's happening and, and we can in further improve and fine tune that performance going forward. And Schneider got involved in this, didn't they, Kaz, with, with this, this Forge building? It was quite early doors that uh, ultimately um, Neil and, and the team from, from Landsec engaged with, with Schneider Electric. And it was around a, a kind of range of, of technologies, you know, Neil mentioned their controls, but but across the kind of portfolio of Schneider Electric products and solutions that you would get in a in a kind of buildings project. So um, what's smart about when when people move in there? What sort of things they're not going to have to look at the lights? They're going to you know water will come out when they want. It's main. Give, give me some of the things you've done and made it made it sort of super sustainable. So so ultimately in that building you're going to find um, the, the latest from a controls point of view here. So it's going to have digital twinning as well that sits behind the controls and, and the building environment. So as Neil's touched upon there, the neighbours requirement is pretty important. What it does is it holds to account a rating um, after the project has been finished and people start to move in to keep a level of efficiency. Yeah. And what the digital twinning will will enable. Uh, Landsec to do is is ultimately to to make sure that we're we're keeping on track with that 
and, and where we aren't, because ultimately sometimes a building starts to be used in a different way from, from how it was designed, is the changes and the tweaks and the fine tuning can be made uh, through the life. I mean, ultimately on top of that, you've got everything from, from automation uh, throughout that building to um, I'm sure that the great environment that, that Neil and the team have, have designed there as well. Um, it's, it's important to touch upon as well, I guess, I guess Neil, and um, that the, embodied, the embodied carbon that's gone on here as well, um, the team have, have looked at uh, reducing. So they've done a lot of offsite manufacturing and fabrication that Schneider have supported the team on as well. So actually that embodied carbon in construction has been uh, reduced as well um, on this building. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that exactly as as I said. I mean, the the net zero commitment is both for operational carbon as well as for the carbon that you use in the construction of the building in the first place. So, from the operational side, we've got air source heat pumps and uh, water to water heat pumps to provide our hot water. So, took out any need for any gas fired heating on site. So, it's an all electric building. There is some PV on the roof where we had an opportunity to put some in place. So the base systems are all highly effective in terms of their energy use and well controlled by the, the Schneider systems that, that monitor the performance and adjust them. But then when you move your building to a point where you've minimized its energy use in it and its operational sense and, and you've moved it as we have for all our buildings onto a renewable energy uh, electrical supplies effectively that's sort of taken the the carbon out of the operational side you're, you're left with yes. the amount of carbon that you put into the construction of the building itself and we we selected the forge as an innovation building for us to try some new building methodologies and we we adopted a lot of learning from the manufacturing sector and how they've driven efficiencies and the way that they build and construct things and we took those learnings into the the forge and used a process called design for manufacturing assembly and uh, a platform approach which we think can be reused on other buildings in the future as well but essentially making the components of the buildings really efficient uh, and the way that we put the building together minimizing the amount of materials and resources minimizing the waste and all of those things effectively reduce its carbon footprint and and then any final carbon um, we we've committed to offset using yeah. gold standard offset so that completes the process of making it a net zero carbon building before we go both of you building was building <clears throat> technology was technology power supply was power supply is the future that actually to build a building before you even build it Someone like Neil needs to talk to someone like you, Kaz, and build these buildings now to be almost sort of kind of, I don't know, digitally alive from the beginning. Because it's clear from this discussion, without the technology, you can do so much with what you build the thing out of. You'll need the technology to, to make sure these things are as efficient as possible in the future. So it's not, I'm in the building trade or I'm in the... Uh, you know, electrical trade, you're, you're all together now. Yeah, I think what we're what we're seeing and, and, and like with Lantec, um, many, many other clients as well, um, they're engaging with suppliers like Schneider Electric um, a lot earlier on in the, the design process to try and understand what's possible at that point in time, but then also kind of put in the right things at the design stage and, and hear 
you know, again, kind of modeling things using digital, using data from the, the outset to then, you know, as it changes, as it develops, you know, even through the construction process, you've got a bit of a model there that's going to actually spit out to you. These are the best scenarios to take forward. And, and if you were do, doing this scenario, it would give you this. If you were doing that scenario, it would give you X and, and whether that's mm -hmm. sustainability, whether that's, you know, time to construct, cost to construct, tools like that are, are ultimately being used. And then there's a handover that takes place with the systems um, from an operational point of view, where, you know, ultimately for the next kind of 25, 30 years, you, you need a, a system that is going to hold to account the performance of the building and, and measure usage, measure performance and, and tell you where it's not and, and allow you to you know, without having tons of experts on site, tell the, the users that something's not right and, and what to do about it as well. So I think there's a lot more engagement with clients at an early outset now to make sure that they end up with something like that. And, 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 and there's an inherent risk if, if they try and engage a bit later on and, and ultimately you're trying to break up specifications and designs. Yeah. Um, fascinating stuff. <clears throat> Neil, uh, Kaz, thank you so much. Uh, I think it's been a nice journey where we've gone through stuff. I suppose the future will be hopefully that we can start to decarbonize our buildings uh, for all of us, really, whether they're old or new. So, uh, Kaz Mohammed, uh, Neil Pinnell, thanks for joining us on this Future Net Zero podcast. You've been listening to a Future Net Zero podcast along with our partner, Schneider Electric. This has been a promoted podcast. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.